Hi, Amy. It's so good to talk with you today. Hey, Kara. Thanks for calling. Absolutely. Let's talk about your book. Will you tell me a little bit about it? Yeah, my book is called Dangerous Territory, My Misguided Quest to Save the World. And it is a spiritual memoir about two years that I spent in Southeast Asia over a decade ago now. And um, so, so it's a personal story about these two years that I spent teaching English as a second language at universities in Southeast Asia and some of the things that happened while I was there. Um, but it's also a book that kind of deconstructs what I call the missionary myth, um, which is this idea we have that missionaries are somehow more spiritual than ordinary people sitting in the pews on a Sunday morning. Um, and so I go into, um, in some short sections, I go into things like the history of this missionary story and the history of women in missions, um, even the history of the word missionary. And I, I even consider some some things about like the way that mission agencies were formed in America and how that connects to sort of the capitalist movements that were happening at the same time. And so just give some historical and cultural context for some of the issues that are really relevant to contemporary missionaries. Um, but I should tell you a little bit about the story, too, because it's not primarily a book of missiology. It's primarily a story. And so when I was 22, I was inspired by biographies I had read as a child of missionaries who had just done amazing and glorious things. And I felt that I wanted adventure in my life, and I wanted to be great for God. And so the best way I could see for those things to happen was for me to go overseas. So at the age of 22, I moved to Southeast Asia to teach English in the university there. And I can't tell you, and I, I don't say in the book the name of the country where I was, because some of my students and friends still remain in danger due to things that happened during that year when I was there. Um, I started teaching English, and I was so I was in a closed country where missionaries weren't allowed, but the government did know that I was a Christian. I was a Christian English teacher. But I wasn't openly sharing my faith. Um, I was just teaching English and getting to know my students and figuring out how to live in a foreign country. And then one day, one of my students knocked on my door, and I invited her in for tea, and she said, Amy, are you a Christian? I heard Brian from the Backstreet Boys is a Christian. And uh, she was a big fan of pop music, especially the Backstreet Boys, and in her reading about them had, had learned that Brian was a Christian, and that made her curious about Christianity. So at first I thought that her interest was um, – you know, inconsequential, that it was part of a, a pop crush, right? But we started studying the Bible together, and her interest was actually very serious, and she was an extremely thoughtful and poetic student. Um, and eventually she decided that she wanted to follow Jesus, and several of her friends also started following Jesus. And so after I finished my first year teaching there, I came back to America for the summer. Um, and while I was in America... Uh, those girls were studying the Bible together and the police came and found them and brought them into the station and interrogated them and interrogated them repeatedly over the summer, actually, and eventually found out that they had received their Bibles from me. And so they revoked my teaching visa and I couldn't return um, the following year. 
which sent me into kind of a faith tailspin. And I spent the next year teaching English in Cambodia. Um, but I was really questioning a lot of the things that I had taken for granted before and wondering if I had done more harm than good. So that is a quick peek at the story that I'm telling in this book. Wonderful. You touched on this a little bit in your answer to that question, but um, one of the things I noticed in my reading was that in the course of this story, your faith shifts somewhat. Would you talk just a little bit about that journey and about what faith looks like for you now? Yeah, that's a big question. Um, I think, you know, my faith shifted in a number of ways over those two years. And at first, my faith was really strengthened because um, I saw things happening with my students that really seemed miraculous and um, and were beyond what I had expected. And And more than that, I think when I saw them, who had never heard any of these stories from the Bible before, when I saw them read the Bible and I saw how it made sense to them, I thought, oh, my gosh, this actually is true. And I realized maybe I hadn't really believed it was true before. I kind of wondered, like, everyone believes this where I'm from, like, but is it going to be true on the other side of the world? Is it going to make sense to someone who's never heard it before? All those truths were so familiar to me, having grown up with um, with them and with church and with a strong Christian family, that I needed to see what they were I need to see them afresh. And so being able to see those truths through the eyes of brand new believers really made them fresh and new to me. Um, but then, but then once um, everything went down and I started questioning God a lot, I had to work through a lot of doubts and questions about like um, God's sovereignty and his love and how those things can coexist with the amount of suffering we see in the world um and and how can i know when what i've done is is good or evil um how can i know what it really means to serve god best so so i wrestled with those questions a lot and you know i think i became a person who is less likely to always raise your hand with the right answer um when it comes to questions of faith and and more likely to um be quiet and to be listening and um and, and letting some of the mystery of faith be mystery instead of always needing to find certainty or a specific answer. That's awesome. Um, another another change I saw um, over the course of the book was um, your thoughts on mission work. Uh, what would you say is is your are your thoughts on mission work now? Um, well, really, to you, uh, listeners, please read the book because I don't think I can do justice to that question. <laughs> verbally because that's why I'm a writer not not a speaker and so I want to be careful um because I really do believe that a lot of people um who who call themselves missionaries now are doing great great things and really serving God well um but I also think that there are a lot of things that we need to rethink um in the way that we do missions and especially with the trips that um we call short-term mission trips I think that um you know, the short-term mission trip has only been a thing for how oh, 50, 60 years now. It really didn't get started until the 1960s and um, kind of exploded in popularity in the 80s and 90s, the short-term mission trip, especially for high school students or college students. And I think that um, there's the narrative that's grown up about those trips is that um, 
they are experiences where young people can have their faith strengthened and they can grow spiritually while serving, quote, the least of these, right? And that's an interesting way to talk about something that we're calling a mission trip. Because a mission trip, you would think, the primary way we would talk about it would be um, sharing the love of Jesus with people who don't know Jesus, right? But actually, these trips are about spiritual growth for the people who go on them through serving the poor. That's kind of a different thing. And I think a lot of the things that we, um, the ways in which we think we're serving the poor can actually be like counterproductive. Um, some some short-term trips are great, but others really need to be thought through more. And I'll just give you an example. Um, say that you're taking a group of high schoolers to build a school in a village in Central America. And so these students, they don't have construction experience, but they are so willing to serve and, you know, they really have heart for the Lord and for service. And so they go to this country and they're building a school. And while they're working there, um, a man walks by, a local, and he's out of work. And maybe he actually has little construction or carpentry experience. And maybe he would have been really glad to have a job building that school. And if he had could have earned some money through building the school, he would be able to afford the textbook fees to send his daughter there the next year when it opens. But instead, what he sees are these teenagers who don't know what they're doing, building the school, and then they fly away. And Andy Crouch says that in his, uh, in his book, he says that Americans act like little gods. We see a problem, we fly in and solve it and fly away again. And that leaves the people on the ground feeling like they don't have a sense of agency. Um, they don't have control. And there might be better ways uh, for us to serve or partner with people. So I guess it, it's not that I'm saying let's end all short-term mission trips, but I do think we need to think about them more carefully. And we need to, we need to ask people in other countries if, what they want us to do and not come up with our own ideas of how we want to serve. And then I also think that maybe we should consider renaming them, um, you know, instead of teenagers writing to their supporters. And I did this. I went on two short-term mission trips when I was in high school. And, you know, I wrote letters that said, um, help me go share God's love in this country. But what if instead I had said something like, if you want to invest in me and my spiritual life, would you consider supporting me so that I can go see how God is already at work in this country? And if I had positioned myself as a learner, maybe more than a server, that would have been a more accurate representation of what was happening. Um, And I think that that's more beneficial for the church in the long run is if we can build reciprocal relationships, not these relationships where the Americans act like little gods. Um, I think that that could be a great change we could make in our missionary efforts. This book is largely written from the perspective of a much younger you. Um, I, I'd love to know if you could tell her anything from your current vantage point, what would it be? Yeah, well, I think some of the things I would tell myself at 22 are conclusions that I come to at the end of this book. Um, and and those are things about um, where I was finding my identity and that I needed to find it, it 
in my status as the beloved of God rather than in whatever things I wanted to do for God or accomplish for God. Um, but I'm not sure that telling myself that would have made any difference because, you know, there are things that you know intellectually, um, but sometimes you have to have experiences for those intellectual bits of knowledge to make it all the way down to your heart and to become things that you actually believe, like on an emotional gut level. Um, I think I also would have told myself to stop being so self-obsessed. <laughs> I mean, when I read my journals from ages 22 and 23, I was very obsessed with um, my own life and who was I going to be and, um, you know, who did I love and would I get married or not get married. And I was not very focused on, like, my teammates, for example, um, and I probably wasn't a great teammate to the other teachers who were teaching in the universities with me um, because I was pretty focused on my own needs. And so I would encourage myself to be a little more uh, relational and sacrificial um, with the people who were around me back then. So one one thing that keeps coming up in your book is this idea of uh, wanderlust. It seems like it's your version of homesickness and it follows you throughout the book. How do you think that shaped your experiences? Yeah, um, I've been kind of obsessed with wanderlust, like, since I was a teenager. I guess as soon as I could drive, I don't know. I've always had a desire just to go and to see all the places, and I still get kind of uh, antsy if I haven't traveled in very long. Um, and that definitely made me just more likely to want to go overseas as a missionary, right? Um I think for a lot of people, the idea of going overseas feels like a big sacrifice, like all the things they're giving up and leaving home. And for me, it just felt like a huge adventure, um, which also meant that, like, my motivations for going overseas were pretty mixed, right? A, a mixed bag of longing for adventure, longing to be of great service to God, and, like, just a sincere um, a sincere love for God and desire to do whatever God wanted me to do. Um, so, so Wanderlust is a big part of how or of why I ended up overseas, I think. Um, and, you know, it continues to play a, a pretty big role in my life. I've now, I've been living in Indiana now for about seven years, and that is the longest I've ever lived anywhere. As a child, I lived in San Antonio for seven years. But other than that, um, I've never lived more than more than six years in a place. And so um, it's something actually that I've been wrestling with a lot lately and, and writing through and maybe will be a theme I return to if I ever write another book is this idea of like uh, restlessness versus rootedness. And is one of those more spiritual than the other? Um, I, I used to think that my restlessness was a kind of spiritual virtue, you know. God called Abraham to go, and he went. And in the New Testament, we're strangers and aliens on the earth. Um, and, you know, I I understand that differently now than I did then, for sure. But I'm still not convinced that uh, stability is all, you know, I think stability is like all the rage right now. There are books, there's actually a book called Staying is the New Leaving, right? There are lots of Christian books about the value of rootedness and stability, but I still find myself wanting to leave. <laughs> so I'm trying to work through what that means. So as you send your book into the world today, 
what is it that you hope for your readers as they interact with it? I think there are a few things. Um, one is is just that I hope that my readers uh, come to a deeper understanding of the fact that they are beloved by God apart from what they do or do not do for God. Um, that's probably the most foundational thing that I would hope my readers come away with. Um, beyond that, I hope that my readers are challenged to think more carefully about the words that they use. I think as you read through my book, you'll see a recurring theme of me uh, kind of deconstructing words, deconstructing language. And um, in the end, there's an essay called Learning to Speak Faith as a Second Language. And I think that I am really passionate about us being careful with the words that we use to talk about God and to talk about faith especially. Um, and to talk about about missionaries and um, and what it means to serve God and and so then kind of along with that, I hope that my readers will um, think more critically about missions and recognize that there is no hierarchy of vocations um, there's nothing that says that being a missionary or a pastor is more spiritual or more valuable than being an accountant or a housewife and and then the things that um, the missionaries that we do support, I hope that we can encourage them to be honest and to feel safe being honest about the struggles that they face. And I hope that we can think creatively about maybe new ways to talk about missions and to and to do missions. Or, you know, at the end of the book, I even suggest that missionary isn't a word that's helpful anymore. But so maybe I don't even want to use that word. Maybe I want to say, let's think more creatively about the ways that we serve God um, wherever we are, right? Thank you so much for talking with me about this today, Amy. It's been such a pleasure. Yeah, thank you, Kara. It was great.